there's a lot of angel groups out there where you join and you're required to invest, say, 50k in the first year. We don't we don't apply any of those pressures because we want folks to kind of get comfortable and when they're ready, they can start writing checks. So we found that that's been really helpful to to really take that approach of come here, learn how to do this when you're ready. You know, we've got deals that you can you can dive into. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem and the Rocky Mountain region, the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital. Our guests today are Doug Mandick and Dave Harris from the Rockies Venture Club, an angel investing group dedicated to accelerating economic development by educating and connecting investors and entrepreneurs. In this episode, Doug and Dave are going to give us the inside scoop on angel investing and how it is different from traditional VC investing. They will let us know how they became part of RBC, how they choose the companies to invest in, and what brought them to the Rockies. Hi, Doug and Dave. Thanks so much for joining us. To start off, Dave, why don't you tell me a little bit about the Rockies Venture Club's history and how the organization was started? Yeah, sure thing. Well, thanks for thanks for having us, Les. So Rockies Venture Club, or RBC, started way back in 1985. So it's actually the longest running active angel group in the country by about like three weeks. There's a group, I think, in Puget Sound that, <laughs> that has their charter around the same time, but we beat them. So of course. RBC is the longest running. So, 80, 85. I mean, yeah. I was four years old. I didn't even know Vench. I didn't even know there was angel investing to be done back when I was four. Yeah, it was pretty, you know, pretty new concept, I guess. And so in the time since, you know, it's it's gone through a couple different iterations. But I'll kind of cut to 2010, which is when Peter Adams took over, who's our executive director and my partner on uh, the Rockies Venture Fund. So when he took over, it was a group that had been operating, but it mostly become a bit stagnant. Folks were meeting, but deals weren't really happening. There's maybe two, three investments happening a year, but no one was really tracking things. So there's really no process. So what Peter did is he really instituted education. He kind of saw that, all right, let's let's start putting together some education for entrepreneurs to get them ready for, for how to raise capital from angel investors and VCs. And then pretty quickly realized, well, angel investors need this education too. So let's develop more for them. And then I, I came on board in 2014, where the education was really starting to take off and the, the group was growing. But we were really, again, not really making as many investments as we could. So we kind of instituted process, really thought a lot about speed and trying to maximize entrepreneurs' time. And went from doing about, you know, maybe four or five investments a year to now consistently doing about 30 every year. So that's a little bit of the history, been around for a while, but we've we've really kind of tried to turn things around over the last last decade or so. Fascinating. And Dave, what was your background that sort of led you into this opportunity sure, professionally? Yeah. Yeah, so I spent a good portion of my early career in the corporate world. I was with Reuters, what became Thomson Reuters, the, the global newswire. And I was doing interesting work, but eventually just really soured on the whole corporate experience. I went through every corporate cliche you can imagine, you know, massive merger, survived waves of layoffs, acquisitions, all, all kinds of stuff. And I, I basically tried to look for the polar opposite experience of that, which was the early stage startup. So I got engaged in the Denver Boulder community around the time that Denver Startup Week was really starting to take off in 2011. 
and was working with a number of startups, consulting with a, a friend of mine, formed a little consultancy, and then ended up helping to raise some capital for some of those. So that's kind of how I got turned on to the angel investing community and got to know RBC and then eventually joined Peter in 2014. So been been helping to run the group since then. And then we raised our first fund in 2017. Very cool. It's, it's always great when you can run away from the, 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 the cuts and scrapes and earning your badges and then apply them to an exciting new kind of opportunity like the right. early stage. That's great. And Doug, what was your path to you know, learning about the Rockies Venture Club and, and getting involved? It's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, I always thought that the angel world was just too scary and risky for someone like me. And so I never even was considering it until a colleague and friend of mine, former colleague, I guess at that time, Jared Stack up in Wyoming, one of the leaders of Breakthrough 307, an angel fund up there. Uh, he and I knew each other back when he was CEO of his own startup, Firehole Technologies, that ended up getting acquired by Autodesk. And then we were co-workers there for a while. And we love working together. And then he, he left to, to, uh, to join the, you know, the angel investing world and start his own thing. And he connected with Rocky's Venture Club just because, you know, he was able to attract investors to his cause in Wyoming, but he was having a hard time finding things to invest in. So he was just looking to expand his network and, and uh, get access to more deal flow. And so on, on a you know, random trip back and forth, I, you know, I grew up in Montana. And so I was driving from Denver up there and, and I stop in and see Jared for some barbecue and a beer. And, and he was just glowing about this new, new organization he joined and some of the things he's invested in and how great it was. So he connected me with Peter Adams. And it turns out that Peter lives uh, less than a block away from me. So he was my connection <laughs> in. But once I joined, the, the, just, you know, the education aspect you know, made me a lot more comfortable about getting involved. The, the camaraderie of the people here, you know, the network around me, it, it, it was just a great entryway into what it turned out to be, you know, probably a zero to one moment in, in my personal life. I, you know, it's now it's part of my, my cause in life is to give back to the world. And this is my favorite way to do it. That's awesome. I, I, I hadn't realized that Jared Stack was your, your in. I mean, I think that's actually how we got introduced. So I never realized that the seven degrees of Jared Stack, Jared Stack. Were, yeah. were, were a thing. I actually, I reach out to, I hope I have him on the, on the podcast here soon. What a, He'd what be a great. fantastic he's, entrepreneur. He's yeah. Amazing what he's done in Wyoming. So, well, that's for a different episode. What about the mission? Dave, what can you tell us about the mission of the Rockies Venture Club? Yeah, you, you said a bit at the beginning, you know, it's really about accelerating economic development. And, and we're a little unusual in that it's a nonprofit, but it's an angel group. So the nonprofit's mission is really that economic development angle. And we've, we've done that historically through, you know, a lot of events pre-pandemic in person, connecting investors and entrepreneurs, post-pandemic, more, more virtual, but still there's that connection through a lot of that education and then through direct investment. So it's really all about, you know, trying to get more companies spun up, supported and getting capital eventually recycled back into the community through exits and invested into the next round of companies. So that's really what the mission's all about. And we've been really concentrated on Colorado and the Rocky Mountain region. Historically, the pandemic allowed us to kind of open those those doors a little little wider, but we're still really incentivized by growing companies here, keeping companies here in the Rocky Mountain region. And so that's really part of what's, what's driving us. Great. And I imagine since 1985, it's probably changed quite a bit or has evolved. Are there funds or cohorts or like, how do you track the evolution of the entity? Yeah. So the organization operates as a network. So we've got uh, 200 investors, 200 angel investors that come together to collaborate on 
you know, sharing deals, work together on diligence, ultimately come together in a syndicate to invest. But as a network, they're making their own decisions on each deal. And then I mentioned in 2017, we raised their first venture, which operates independent of the group, but is looking at a lot of the same deals. And we've done about 75% of our portfolio has been in deals that have you know, had RBC investment. We just last year raised their first sidecar fund, which is effectively mirroring the activity that the group does. So it's a way for members to get uh, diversification quickly and build a portfolio of about 25 to 30 companies in roughly 18 months. So we're doing new things around funds, but mostly network, and then really dedicated a lot of time towards building syndication networks with you know folks like yourself and you know all the great investors in Montana, but but also around the country, because as angel investors, as early stage investors in general, we all need to really work together to collaborate to help you know fill the entirety of some of these these funding rounds. Yeah, very cool, Doug. Can you describe maybe a little bit for our listeners what what the process looks like? I mean, it's daunting to think of a 200 investor network and sort of corralling all those folks, great folks, right? Great mentors, great industry experience, great, you name it, great investors. How does it work though for an entrepreneur? Like how should our how should our founders that are listening be thinking about what what the Rockies Venture Club does and how it supports entrepreneurship and economic development? Sure. There's a couple of dimensions there we can explore, but let me focus on maybe the second half of the cycle where where a founding team gets a, gets a shot on stage and gets in front of our group and, and gets their chance to pitch. And there's you know an enormous you know barrier to entry just in there. There's just so much so many people out there, you know, trying to solve the next big problem in the world. And, you know, we probably have to decimate by a factor of a hundred, you know, you know, of the inbound interest versus, you know, where we have slots on stage, we can only really afford to see maybe 75 deals a year. And of those that we, they get on stage, maybe something like 25 get funded uh, by us. But, you know, once they get their shot on stage, it's a really good process that Rockies Venture Club has set up where we pool our efforts as a group. Uh, so the, f- the first sort of sense of, you know, should we move forward or not, is just after they pitch, uh, we poll the audience and how many people are interested in following the deal, which is just, you know, an expression of interest. And I'd like to learn more. I'm possibly interested in in joining the the due diligence team or, or, or helping with that that type of activity, or, or perhaps even as much as, you know, if, if the club doesn't move forward, I, I might move forward on my own. So just that expression of interest. And over time, we've just de- developed a set of heuristics for how many how many followers do we need, you know, to to comfortably say if we go forward in the due diligence process, there's a better than than typical likelihood of success coming out the other side. On the second part is the way our club works, at least one or ideally two of us investors sign up to lead the the activity. So we, you know, we call that the lead investor and then in turn, you know, whether Rockies Venture Club is the lead investor for this round or or some other entity is a different dimension. But we we want at least one of our investor members to, you know, to personally, you know, sign up to say, I'm, I'm personally going to, you know, shepherd this and, and, and take it through to the end. And then, you know, the lead investors will, you know, be a key part of organizing the due diligence team and, and participating in that effort. And maybe the biggest job lead investors do is herd the cats at the end. So, you know, we, we do the due diligence, we, we publish a report, we get an active deal in play. We, you know, we promote that through our typical channels, but, you know, it's, Raising money is always the hardest part of, you know, your job and mine and and especially the, the firms we're backing. And so it's it turns into a sales job is probably the easiest way to say it. And I'm good at that. So I've been good as a lead investor. 
That's great. I mean, it's it's fascinating. You know, the the process seems seems really conducive to what what Dave said at the beginning of the cast about Peter Adams' decision to make this very educational. Because it seems like with those with that sort of leadership, there's the opportunity for people that are interested in angel investing to kind of tag along with the club and with the group to to learn while other you know more experienced angel investors take take a lead role what, what is it like for new 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 angels that are just just interested in this maybe people that are listening they're like i'd love to learn how to be an angel investor like how does that how does rocky venture club support those those sorts of folks yeah you know less i mean you hit it right on it's, it's really about trying to make the barriers of entry as low as possible because this is a really confusing space you know like when i first moved into venture capital I came from a finance background, but I didn't really speak the language. So a lot of this went over my head. So it's a lot of, it's like immersion. You have to learn a new language here. And so a lot of this is keeping the barriers of entry low and not necessarily applying pressure to new angel investors to start writing checks right out of the gate. So that's where education is really helpful. And so we, we really try to encourage folks to come and observe if they'd, they'd like to initially, but start taking some of the classes and workshops, start seeing a bunch of pitches to just kind of start calibrating your own level of interest, what makes a good quality pitch versus bad, to kind of just develop like what are the things you're really interested in and then to hone your skills. And that takes some time. There's a lot of angel groups out there where you join and you're required to invest, say, 50K in the first year. We don't, we don't apply any of those pressures because we want folks to kind of get comfortable and when they're ready, they can start writing checks. So we found that that's been really helpful to, to really take that approach of come here, learn how to do this when you're ready. You know, we've got deals that you can, you can dive into. And uh, we've developed things like an angel accelerator, which is a little bit of a unique program where it's just for new angel investors or maybe folks that have been out of the game for a while to learn all the mechanics, but also kind of speed up their their knowledge process a little bit so they can get comfortable to start meeting with entrepreneurs, dissecting what makes a good investment or a poor one, and uh, and really just, you know, trying to get to a place of comfort. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not rocket science, but there's definitely, it has its own lingo and its own, you know, kind of rules of thumb. So yeah, that's, that's really great work that you guys are doing. You know, speaking of the education, I know that's one of the three pillars, at least according to the website, you've got education, events and execution as sort of the three pillars of, of RVC. I'd love to dive into each of those a little bit if, if, if you guys if you guys are up to it. You know, specifically on education, can you what can you tell our listeners about the RVC Academy? Yeah, so it's, it's currently a curriculum of, of about 20 workshops, 20 modules, and then we package those in different different ways. Like I mentioned that Angel Accelerator, which is really three days of the majority of that content mixed in with case studies, practical application of some of this knowledge in, in live due diligence of some of the deals that we're looking at. And then we also do things like class clusters. We'll take three of those 20 and deliver them you know, in an afternoon. So we try to deliver them in different bite sizes to make things digestible for, for entrepreneurs and investors alike. And all of this is offered you know, to both parties and most of our workshops involve, you know, both folks in the same room or the same Zoom room at least. So we we've been offering this for years and and then we also run the hyper accelerator program, which is really just focused on entrepreneurs getting ready for fundraising. And that's really meant as kind of a capstone 
course to a traditional 12-week accelerator like what Techstars provides and not meant to replace that, but really just to focus on due diligence preparation, fundraising preparation for folks that are raising within the next, say, six months. So that's the education. The events, we, we meet monthly. We're doing some, some form of an event at least once a month, pretty much exclusively in the virtual environment over the last 18 months or so, but starting to do some things in a more hybrid fashion. We have done about 150 events a year for the last seven years. Some of those are small things like we do a monthly mastermind meeting where we'll gather 20 entrepreneurs, maybe five investors from our group and just do some sort of collective group problem solving. And then we've done large conferences where we'll have 300 to 400 people. So it kind of varies in size and offering. And then the execution piece is the the investment. We just, we love alliteration. So we needed a third E there. That's where we're doing the direct investments. I see. Very yeah. cool. Doug, what, what has been your experience? Have you, have you mentored in like the hyper accelerator or have you oh, done plenty. any? I've, I figured, yeah. What, tell, tell, tell our, our listeners a little bit about that experience for you as a mentor and also your, you know, what you've learned about just the ecosystem from mentoring. Sure. I mean, you know, mentoring, but you know, it's, it's a common aphorism. It, you know, it's true that, you know, there's no better way to learn something than to teach it. And so, you know, when you're under the spotlight to, to help, you know, a young founding team kind of you know, hone their craft and find their way, you know, there, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very educational for me too. I, you know, I learn a ton every time I help out with these and, and I've grown over time to where now I, I run the valuations workshop. Although I, I think I've been hogging the microphone there for too many, too many years, Dave. So if, if it's time for me to retire or go into emeritus status, I'm, I'm ready to move on. No, um, I won't let you. I won't let you. I think it's, it's a great way to give back. I mean, it's all volunteer effort that, you know, us as, you know, all of our, uh, our angels as mentors do, but it's a, usually a great cohort of, of mentors with very, various backgrounds and skills, you know, and, and it kind of, you know, maybe in some ways stress tests the CEOs under fire because, you know, you get 40 people in a room and we'll all have different opinions about things. And, you know, that all that might average out to zero. So it's, it's, it's a, maybe a key CEO skill to, to take everyone's input, you know, thoughtfully and thankfully, and then in the end, make your own decision, you know, based on all the other data points you have, you know, don't, don't trust any one of us. We're, we're, we're just human like, like, uh, like they are. Yeah, for sure. And what about, you know, I, I, I've experienced, I've seen Peter in action, Peter Adams in action at the Hyper Accelerator before, and I'm just so impressed by the delivery, the content. How would you differentiate what happens at those programs from what happens in more traditional accelerator programs that are, you know, 90 days or 12, 12 weeks or whatever? Yeah, I'd say the difference is obviously this is a lot more condensed time-wise. So there's not really, we're not afforded the time that you have in some of those longer programs to, to really kind of develop more of the product and some of the go-to-market strategy. I mean, that's a component of what we're talking about and helping teams to refine. But we're, we kind of need to expect that they've worked on that stuff before they come to the hyper accelerator. It's really meant to prepare them for due diligence to help speed up the fundraising process. So we've... We've run 16 programs now over the last five years, mostly in Colorado, though we've delivered some internationally and then programs around, around the country as well. And collectively, we're, we have to be very, very exclusive in the, the stage of company that this is a good fit for. So it's not a great fit for earlier companies that are more concept development stage that, that may fit into an excel, a traditional accelerator, but this would be a little bit too fast for some of those, those companies and they need more time to develop. So 
the big difference is a function of speed. The other thing is it's the majority of the mentors that are participating are investors themselves. So a lot of them are effectively doing diligence on the companies while mentoring. It's kind of a way to dive in with 10 companies, you know, in a condensed, but definitely efficiency. (laughs) Yeah, ideally. I mean, if it definitely not meant to replace, I mean, if, if a company, if an entrepreneur out there listening is, is considering, you know, various accelerator programs, definitely go and talk to companies that have gone through the program previously to get a sense of, you know, what, what did they get out of it? Because, you know, they're not all cut the same. And, And ours in particular is really meant to, get them ready for angel and VC funding in some cases to educate them on what that is and maybe talk them out of it. But for the most part, it comes after that sort of traditional accelerator and and, and stage in the company. Makes sense. And and to your point, I think, you know, that education cuts all different ways. I think I've been impressed with your programming because, you know, VC isn't, isn't, isn't right for everybody. And sometimes learning Mm -hmm. that early on can be a, a big, big savior to a company and to a founder. What about, so in terms of the events, the, the Angel Capital Summit, that happens in the spring, I think, right? And the Colorado Capital Conference is usually in the fall. Is that, those are the two big events that That's right. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Those are the two big conferences where we'll have usually about 10 companies will pitch over a couple of days mixed in with panels and speakers. We all, We had a third conference for a few years that we no longer do, which was the Cannabis Capital Summit. And this was, this was 2014 through I think 2016. So like right when Colorado legalized, we were just like, let's learn about this. You know, we don't know anything about the cannabis space. So let's learn about it. Let's throw a conference. And we, we learned that it's probably not, you know, we just didn't really have the expertise in the group to invest much. It did a little bit, but you know, not a ton. (laughs) Some experimental interests perhaps. Was yeah. that on April, April 20th, April 20th every year? I think the first one was around that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. yeah, it's a good date. All right, cool. Yeah. Doug, tell me about finding investors and new angels and sourcing angel investors and helping get angel investors in front of these companies. How, do you, how does Rocky's Venture Club do that? God, I can only speak from my own standpoint, I guess. And it's the hard way. It's it's getting out there and being active in, in the world and hand-to-hand combat, meeting people, you know, inspiring them to to join our cause, you know, pulling them into to events. But, you know, I'm a super passionate fan of of, of this world and pulling others in that I, I think would, would love it too, either to our group or, you know, if they live at various other places around the country, joining their own local angel, angel groups. And I've had a fair amount of success there, but, you know, what I'm describing is just not scalable. So I'm I'm open and curious, especially if less, if you have some answers, you know, <laughs> you know, what's a better way to unlock, you know, which, you know, what are the, it's a huge segment of the U.S. population that's eligible to participate in this world, but most of them probably don't even know it's out there or that it's approachable and practical to them. So it's something I still struggle with. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a challenge. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly intrigued by, you know, just even folks in our ecosystem that we run into that don't really have, have any venture as an asset class that just don't have exposure to it, that, just don't know about it and don't understand it. So I, I go back to the educational piece. I think your, 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 your angle, the RVC angle is, is education. I think it's just maybe more thought leadership. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, and you know, having 200 angel investors in our group is, it's a nice success, but you know, it's, it's all, you know, it's like, what would it take to get to 400 or a thousand? Right. I mean, there's uh, how many people in Colorado now, five or 6 million, you know, I, I think we barely tapped our, our TAM 
for for angel investors here. Sure. Pat LaPointe up in, in your town mm-hmm. and uh, Frontier Angels, wonderful person. I love him. I love his group. Uh, we do a lot together back and forth. I'm an investor in his latest fund just to stay close to him. And I think he's done a remarkable job at attracting angel investors in what's a tiny population of Montana. It's 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 incredible what he's done. So in fact, maybe I, I should sit at his feet and learn you know how he's pulled people into his ecosystem. I couldn't agree more. Pat's Pat's doing great things for our ecosystem. Do what about Dave for the uh, companies that are pitching RBC? So it sounds like the investors are mostly or all kind of in the Rockies. What about the companies though? Are they loosely in the Rockies or? Yeah, historically it's been largely concentrated to the Rockies region. We we didn't exactly exclude based on geography, but we historically would would really require that a company, say, from California has a lead somewhere locally that would maybe make the introduction or at least be willing to share some of their their due diligence in, in our analysis of the company. What the pandemic did is really, I think, break those geographic barriers completely. And we, we found ourselves in a position where we had a number of deals that we were leading across the country. We had a medical device deal in Baltimore that we led that that raised about $2 million, one out of Houston that raised about $3.5 million. So the what we figured out was we can do this remotely. We can raise capital, introduce founders to investors, conduct diligence, do all the things we were doing in person. We can do these things remotely so the geography limitations don't need to be there. And what's followed is investors from all over the country have flocked into the group as well. So that's been really exciting for the local companies in the Rockies where there's now more capital than there was pre-pandemic coming into the state or coming into the region from the coasts or you know, middle parts of the country that, that are seeing really good opportunities here. So it's, it's definitely something where I think angel investing in general was always very geographically limited and, and focused because angels historically like to invest in their backyard you know, in their community, in their towns, their cities, their states at a maximum. Now it's really thinking about, well, you know, innovation isn't limited to one geography. So let's really think about, you know, uh, investing in a different way. So still majority of what we do, but it's coming to about half of what we do now is outside of the region and half is, I, I would say by the end of this year, half will be in region and half out of state. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely for, for regional funds or geographically defined funds. It's definitely COVID created opportunity, but also challenges. And what what does that mean anymore? Right. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's efficiency gains. You know, I mean, founders have figured out that this can be done. Investors, it took some time to get there, but we realized you can build trust. You can build relationships virtually. And, and, and I think that's something that's going to remain. Of course, we we would love to be able to look people directly in the eye and there'll still be a component of that. But I think there's there's an element of making this a lot faster and more efficient of a process by, by leveraging what we learned coming out of the pandemic. Excellent. Doug, switching gears a little bit to kind of more of the entrepreneurs that, that you see and mentor, any, any trends or anything you can share about just the general, the types of entrepreneurs you've seen come through RBC? Huh. God, there's a, a lot of different dimensions we can unpack there. Uh, let me pick one and maybe it's off topic for you and you can, of course, correct me. But I, I think it's a famous stat that the venture capital industry, you know, the, the money that goes into investments is supporting female founders on the order of like 2% of total 
uh, capital allocated, two or three, some de minimis number, which just baffles. And, and I just, you know, while we were talking, looked up my own portfolio of 35 early stage investments to date. And I've personally invested in 47% of diverse founders, I call them, which is either, you know, most of them are female and then many are founders of color as well. And so I look at my own activity, you know, with without, you know, just saying I only invest in diverse founders or, or female founders versus what the national averages are. And I just don't get it. I, I do wonder, may, I think part of it is, is at Rocky's Venture Club, you know, I'm a middle fifties, you know, bald white guy. And there's a lot of people that look like me around the table, but we've been very purposeful about trying to be more inclusive and, and encouraging about investing in diverse founders, but also in, in trying to expand our own investor base, you know, with with females and, and investors of color. I think we've done a fantastic job on, on you know, pulling women into this world. I, I, you know, we're, we're still struggling with, you know, diverse investors, but, you know, we by no means have given up on that cause. But, you know, the one thing I wonder about is, you know, if all this early stage investment is really increasing due to people like us that are purposeful about being inclusive in who we invest in, you know, I, I think the stats probably, you know, are, you know, since they're dollar weighted or heavily weighted by, you know, the soft banks of the world investing in a few big, you know, billions of dollars at a time. And it's just going to take five or 10 years before this percolates up to actually affect the total dollar volume that, that gets invested in, in, in diverse founders. But I, I would say, you know, maybe that's one trend that we're forceful or purposeful about trying to create ourselves is, is opening up this world to, you know, what arguably could be, you know, better operators in the end, because, you know, if people like me have a relatively easier path in life, because, you know, I look like the, the, the archetype for, you know, what people would expect to be running a company, you know, versus a female founder or, or a diverse founder that had to, you know, climb up a mountain of glass to get to the same place. Why wouldn't you invest in that? You know, given that, you know, maybe the investment uh, opportunity looks, the, you know, otherwise equal on the surface, why wouldn't you, you know, bet on the the person that that had to go through a lot more and is probably you know better honed to to take it to the next level absolutely i, I mean i'm i'm super thankful for you sharing that I, I i think you know we we've got a long way to go but certainly an awareness is is key and then a commitment to change and it takes time to to your point so you know hopefully we're we're moving in in the right direction and i think with the commitment of of people like yourself and RBC, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. I'm an optimist that we're moving in the right direction. Dave, what, what about at a, at a kind of a need level, what are you seeing differences you see in companies, especially in region, what they, what they need, how they need support, like any trends there, uh, especially just in general in Colorado? Yeah. I mean, in general, I'd say in Colorado, we've seen that companies are able to do more with less. Historically, there's just been less capital here and not less like you less, less like there's not enough. That was, that was a bad joke. But. Good one. Oh, that was like my style of dad joke yeah. right there. That was good. <laughs> you know how I do. So, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, there just hasn't been as much institutional capital and certainly not as much venture capital as compared to, of course, the coasts, but even compared to some of our, our neighbors. And so, a lot of the founders here that have raised locally or maybe tried to raise and have been challenged to raise capital have had to do more with less, be a little more lean. And I think that's created a more resilient entrepreneur pool here. Now, hopefully that's changing with some of the work we're doing and, and folks like you that are investing in the state in addition to your own state. And it is changing, but I think that type of culture is important here. 
in addition to just the culture of Colorado, which is very much this give first uh, mentality. And so I think from a need perspective, capital is always the big need, but you know, a lot of the founders here are often looking for advice, connections, network, all the things that angel investors traditionally ideally want to be able to provide on top of their capital. And so that's one of the things we do in the education side of RVC is really educate entrepreneurs on here's what comes alongside the capital. Is this what you need? If so, here's how to ask for it. If all you're looking for is capital, well, let's work with you to figure out different resources because venture capital and angel investing will kind of tie together. Angel and venture are really expensive capital. So there's other ways where you can possibly tap some money without you know, necessarily having to give up 20% ownership of your company, which one day will be worth hopefully many millions of dollars. If all you're looking for is capital, there's other resources. But if you need other things like advice, like connections, like expertise, then this is a good resource for you. I could have used that advice back in 2011 when I raised venture capital for the first time, for sure. Yeah. I'll tell you the, the resiliency piece too is very common thread that we're hearing on the, on the podcast on a weekly basis, just doing more with less. It's, it's really a great skill set and a great attribute, I think, yeah. for founders in general. So it's like, I want to invest in those, those people. Yeah. It's, it's also a potential uh, new podcast you can host, doing more with less. And you can, <laughs> you can uh, talk about ways to do that. I'll give you all the credit, Dave, when that day That's comes. That's free. That one's free. Yeah. free. Yeah. Right, and bricks of gold on the table for you here. <laughs> awesome. Doug, what about, uh, speaking of bricks of gold, any other major themes, trends, industries or verticals? What's winning in Colorado? Like what, what are you seeing that nobody's, nobody else is seeing or, or maybe everybody else is seeing? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what's one dimension of this is what verticals seem to be active Uh, at Rocky's venture club. We're kind of, you know, industry agnostic, you know, most of us, well, everyone will just pick their favorites. And so we'll have different, you know, cohorts of people in, in the group that, focus on different things. Uh, you know, I, my background is enterprise SaaS and that's still my favorite. I love that world. I know it inside and out. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively easier for me to, you know, to, to take big, bold bets there. I love investing in medical devices and life sciences. We've got a lot of opportunities in Colorado in that world. And I love this state for that. And I love investing in it, but you know, it's not my background. So I also love that in our group format, we've got people that came out of that world and, you know, can be my shepherd and guide and they can lead the investment and I'll follow them and, and learn from them. And and so it's, it's, a, it's a great asset class to invest in. We, we do see a fair amount of things like food and beverage and consumer products. And I've invested and four consumer products companies I've been on the board of two of them. So and it's not like I, I rule it out. It's just, you know, it could be a, a harder path to scale. But, you know, one that's, you know, can can be, be very fruitful as well. Kind of fun too, because you get to no, like definitely, hold, yeah. hold At stuff. Least, yeah, for a lot of investors, <laughs> they can wrap their mind around, I'm selling this to people like you, you know, do, do you get it? Versus, you know, some, you know, some back-end SaaS play that, you know, if, you know, or AI, you know, specific wonky thing that, yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a microservices model. And, you know, you, it's just hard, harder for people to wrap their mind around that. But, you know, maybe a different dimension to that question is the evolution of funding rounds. I mean, you know, they just see, seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, I think a decent size series, series A used to be one to $2 million. And now that's a maybe a seed or a seed plus round anymore. And, you know, that coupled with what seems to be a growing to me over reliance on 
alternative investment vehicles like safes and convertible notes, you know, outside of, you know, what they're originally designed for, you know, people are raising, you know, $5 million on a safe anymore. And it's like, why is that happening? Or, you know, what's, what's the value to anybody for that to go on? It's going to be painful when that converts, right? Yeah. 100% of the time, every time I've been working with a founder that, you know, you know, we end up, maybe we'll be their the, their first lead of a priced equity round. You know, that's our favorite investment structure. And and uniformly, they're shocked at how much equity they bled as these things convert. It's, yep. you know, but, you know, especially it's, as it's they hard. stack, right? As they stack oh, yeah. on each other. Yeah. yeah. They stack on top of each other. And it's it's breathtaking at the end of all that. And, and, and it's not great for the investors either. You know, they're investing into an uncertain structure, you know, that eventually is going to get struck. Um and, and plus, you know, you know, in, in the unlikely event that things go sideways, you know, if, if you're a holder of a safe, you're a holder of nothing, really. It's it's like a warrant. Uh, so it just goes away if the company decides they, they have to wind down. Although I guess, you know, if you're an equity holder, usually there's nothing left to, you know, to, to claim rights to anyway. But And a big part, you know, I don't want to turn this into wonky talk about taxes, but Section 1202 of the tax code <laughs> and being able to, to, to recognize capital gains or, or capital gains with, without any tax complications only applies if you're an equity investor in a company. It doesn't apply if you're a safe or a convertible note holder. So, you know, you have a five-year window that you have to own the equity before you can recognize that benefit. And, you know, if the clock doesn't start until, you know, the company finally raises a series A, you know, that's a much longer runway to success that we have to wait for. Anyway, I, I totally get it that, you know, if you're an early, you know, early enterprise raising money from your mom and your dentist, you know, a safe or a convertible note or something is the right thing to do. But if you're raising $5 million, you know, it's like, come on, people, you know, you're, you should be well into equity raises at this point. See, Les, awesome. this, is, this is one of the, the keys of our education is that we're not afraid to talk about taxes, which <laughs> we don't advertise because it's not that attractive, but it's important when it comes to angel this. So Won- wonky tax talk with Dave and Doug. Yeah. Yeah. That's Let's coming to you that's on Spotify. I'd <laughs> yeah. subscribe. Uh, Awesome. Oh, that's great. Actually, Doug, really, uh, on a serious note, really excellent thoughts and, and great things to consider for founders. So well done. Yeah, well shared. If I, could, if I could just add to Doug's comment. Um, yeah. So first off, just plus one, um, what he said around health, healthcare and health tech in, in our community in Colorado, specifically in Denver. I think there's just amazing pillars here that are helping to support and, and make that a real hub in the country. And then I'll also just kind of point to what I'll categorize as future of work. I think I see Denver and Boulder really becoming leaders in the future of work segment, which it, which is pretty broad. But there's just some really amazing companies that are growing quickly here that are helping both small businesses and our enterprise to really get prepared for what future of work really means. I'll call out two quickly. One, Interview IA based in Denver, which has helped really improve the hiring process and to remove the bias from the hiring mm-hmm. process led by Joe Thurman. And then Tilt, which is becoming the platform of record for employee leave management for, for companies really of any size, but specifically for kind of the lower and middle market, especially led by Jen Henderson, two teams that are really doing amazing work in Colorado within the future work segment. They sure are. I know both both those founders and both those both those companies are fantastic. And And what better way to build products for the future of work than the place where people want to work? Like Colorado, the the Inner Mountain West, right? Yeah, it's great. Very cool. What this is a, this is a good one for both of you. I'd love to hear kind of what your what's your view of the future of early stage investing and or or more more generally venture early stage venture in Colorado. 
what, what what's your perspective in terms of the ecosystem, the opportunity? Sure. So a couple of things. First off, I'm seeing more capital coming to work than when I started, which is amazing. You know, especially from 2015 to, to 2021, we've seen more of these micro VC and even sort of the nano VC. So anybody sort of sub $100 million VC fund starting here or at least operating, you know, with a good amount of their capital here in Colorado. And that's tremendous because we need more of that capital here. And a lot of that has been really collaborative where we work together in the same way that angel groups have always worked together these sort of micro VC funds have collaborated as well. So I think that's a great trend and we're seeing more of that happening year over year. I'm, I'm also seeing some shifts in models, which I think are exciting, kind of broadly, you know, in venture, but certainly applied here in Colorado, where folks are raising via rolling funds or, you know, just getting a little more creative with some of the ways to attract limited partner capital, maybe to attract angel investing capital. But in any, in any regard, thinking about ways of lowering those, those barriers of entry and even ways of getting creative with liquidity. You know, we've, we've got a couple of great funds that are working on revenue-based investments here. Mm-hmm. So that's another example. So I think there's a lot of creative things happening and a lot of capital that is collaborating to, to provide more opportunities for the entrepreneurs here in Colorado. Awesome. Hmm. Maybe a, an industry trend in general I'm seeing, I, I don't necessarily align with, but it's a trend is, is crowd, crowds, crowdfunding. And it's, I don't know, I'm of two minds about it, I guess, but you know, any investors, you know, listening, any of the deals you see up on those things, you know, if I think valuations are starting to get bonkers, you know, in traditional funding routes, you know, they're, they're bonkers times two or three up on these crowdfunding platforms and you're investing in, so a company that's overvaluing itself, you're investing in common equity, usually you have no information rights, you have, you know, nothing at all, you know, it, Bless them. You know, if, if founders can make it work and raise, you know, a sufficient amount of capital together that the next stage through that, you know, m- you know, good on them. And some mm-hmm. of the things I've invested in have gone on to raise, okay, kind of follow on capital through those mechanisms. But the downside is, you know, if you're, you're raising it, you know, you know, a high valuation and then you need to take the next step and go back and, and raise, you know, follow on capital through traditional routes, you know, that's a tough conversation to have that, you know, I, Maybe the you know the valuation of my enterprise at this stage should be twenty million, but I just raised it seventy five. And you know, what what should your round be? And I, I guess there is no down round for people on a crowdfunding site if they don't have any any rights at all. But I, I don't know. It's, it still seems risky. Yeah, it's it's really really astute advice. I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to get back on top of your skis when you get get too far out in front. And and those platforms can you know do that for you. And yeah, not, you, the, uh, give you enough rope to hang yourself. I think. Yeah. Awesome. Well, not awesome, but <laughs> yeah. it, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. So the last question I would love for you to both also kind of give me your, your perspective on what's, what do you think, what does the future of the Rockies Venture Club look like? You know, both short term, where, where, where are you going the rest of, you know, this year and into 2022 and then kind of, kind of beyond where, where is, where is the, where is the firm in, you know, five years, 10 years? Yeah, well, I, I can provide my perspective on that. I'm curious to get Doug's take as well, to see what he thinks. But I'll just share, you know, over the last couple of years, we've really tried to concentrate, as, as those geographic barriers that I mentioned have, have kind of gone away, we've tried to really grow investment in a couple of key categories in partnership with, with the state of Colorado. So one of those is in life sciences, another is in clean energy. And we really are hopeful that those two are going to continue to grow because we think those are good. This is a really good ecosystem uh, with supporting partners 
and we're trying to mobilize more capital for early stage companies in those in those categories. So we're hopeful in the near term that continues. And one of the other things we're we're aiming to do in the near term within the next year is try to make RBC an organization where all of the education we're doing, all the events, which currently have a paywall associated with them, that we can offer all of that for free. And we're working on various grant initiatives and means to try to make that happen. Again, trying to keep those barriers of entry as low as possible. And at the same time, being able to you know pay for the, the organization to survive. So that's something we're really thinking about in the near term. Hmm. I think uh, longer term as we're thinking about vision for the organization, I, I just love for this to be the the place where people go as they're they're considering do I become an angel investor what is this all about regardless of where they're being. again I think that geographic limitations are going away and we have figured out a way to, to do this regardless of where you're you're joining us from so we we'd love for this to be the place where people come for education and come for the best early stage deal flow I agree. It's the place. I mean, and I'm not just saying that. It, 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 I, I, I'm, I have always been intrigued by your commitment to education and founders, investors. And I think that's, that's the right approach. I send them your way. Well, sure. either there are frontier angels, which is kind of like the little Montana satellite of Rocky's venture. Club. They're like anyway. our best friends. So yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we love for, sure. yeah. for sure. Doug. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you know, an investor and an entrepreneur myself, I'm always looking for ways to 10 X things, right. You know, defining KPIs and how can I 10 X them, you know, even if it's just a thought exercise. So if two KPIs for our group would be like number of investor members, you know, 10 Xing that and number, you know, of, of capital deployed year, year on year, 10 Xing that, those are always the things I think about. I'm not sure I have the answer yet on what that might look like, but honestly, you know, if I look at the club, from that kind of lens, you know, is it, does it have the same attributes that, that I love about it now? So, you know, honestly, if 10 years from now, we're about the same size in terms of capital deployed and people, I, you know, I love it. I, I know personally, I think almost all of the investor members here, I've got relationships with them all. And it's a big part of what I treasure about this. I'm not trying to create essentially a large, you know, rolling fund. So I don't know. I, I have to think about it more. I really like where it is right now. I just want to keep it alive and healthy and thriving and resilient, just like the things we invest in. As far as deal flow goes, I mean, we, we've got more than we can handle at the moment anyway, but still, you know, helping to curate, you know, better early stage opportunities for ourselves, but also, you know, to, to launch things into, into the, the, you know, the next, next level with better odds for success, you know, is, is always what we're trying to do. It's a great answer. You guys have a, have a great mission and you're executing. Why change? Keep it, keep it, keep it thriving. That's great. Well, Doug and Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I only thought it was appropriate that the found in the Rockies podcast had the Rockies venture club at some point. We, this had to happen. So thank it's you for brand. doing it. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having us, Les. Yeah. Dave, could you please tell our audience where they can find more about RVC online? Sure. Yeah. You can, you can learn more about us at www.rockiesventureclub.org. You can also visit us on, on LinkedIn. We'll soon have some of our educational content up on a site to be determined. So I can't share exactly what that is yet, but we'll have more out soon. So just join us on our website. You can join our newsletter and learn about everything we have coming up through that. Terrific. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. 
You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time. Thank you.